Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. All right, so today we have Chloe back, which is really exciting. They're feeling a lot better, so hopefully we can get through the episode (laughs) without any sickness. But today we're going to be talking about a question from a friend of mine who messaged me, and they asked about tips for clicker training a horse to accept a bit. Obviously, you know, in clicker training, usually a bit isn't necessary because we can just get behaviors without needing to use equipment like that. But, you know, some people who are in situations where they don't have full control over what's going on or for whatever various reason, they may think it's a good skill for the horse to be able to take a bit. Maybe even just if somebody in the future ends up with that horse and it's better off for the horse to know how to handle a bit since it's kind of a very common piece of equipment. So, yeah, I thought today we would just discuss some kind of things related to that question and how to help a horse maybe be as comfortable as possible with taking the bit. And we already recorded this and then it didn't end up being able to be downloaded. So this is going to be hard for me to like re-go over all the same things we already covered because I feel like I'm just repeating myself. But yeah, <laughs> that's okay. same. But also like, I also don't remember what I said. So it's a mix of like repeating myself and also I have no clue what I said. So <laughs> I just feel confused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I know one thing we said before was that you could start with halter training but I also know that this person already did that and the horse halter trains really well so not the next step for this person in particular but I think starting with a halter that is where you'd want to start. Yeah I agree completely just being able to put the halter on them really comfortably and have them self-halter like put their own nose into the halter things like that that can be really helpful for them to even just get used to some of the other parts of the bridle if they haven't been you know used to having something on their head get used to you know something behind their ears something over their nose that sort of thing just getting used to the idea like oh this is actually really good when I get this because I get treats and it's not scary and all those things so definitely focusing on that first I agree would be a good idea but like you said yeah this person already is really good with haltering so it's not really helpful for them. Another thing that I heard from the traditional world but I feel like could actually be helpful is when you do go to introduce the bit going ahead and putting something on it that's like tasty like applesauce or I think actually this person said the horse doesn't like applesauce so you know anything that they find tasty just put it on there and then you know they can even just lick at it or they may not put it in their mouth but if they start to associate it with like oh this is something tasty then that can help it be more of a positive experience for them. Yeah that's a really good idea and I think you can also use natural peanut butters depending on the horse because some natural peanut butters have like a lot of sugar so it's not the best for every horse but if you find something that's literally just peanuts that might be an option for horses who don't like applesauce, which I'm really surprised that that horse doesn't because I don't think I've met one that hasn't. I know, like they always like applesauce. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I was, yeah, I was trying to think of like, what else could you do? The only thing that I could think of was like, maybe some really like plain fruit baby food that doesn't have too many other things in it besides fruit, sort of just like other mashed fruit, but in different flavors. I give that to my dog. So it's like maybe, maybe some baby food, but I, you know, you just have to look at the ingredients and see if it's safe. 
And I think Joe, uh, Jet Avente, or Jet Aquathiri now, might actually have some videos with one of the horses she trained for bridling for the Retired Racehorse Project that she ended up not doing. I can't remember that horse's name, but I think she has videos about bridling for that, with bits specifically. And I think she also started with just, like, targeting the bit. So can the horse touch the bit with their nose or mouth? That's the starting point. And then you would work up to actually putting it into their mouth. Yeah, for sure. Especially if it's a horse that already has an aversive history with the bit, you're going to have to do a lot of that work of just them being in the space with the bit and being willing to even just be near it or look at it and then eventually be able to touch it and things like that. And I know this horse has had somewhat of an aversive history with the bit. So that's something to, I guess, just be aware of too. It may be different for a horse that's never had a bit before who is sort of a clean slate in that area and doesn't, you know, already associate it with something that might be painful or uncomfortable. And I know this isn't totally with bridling, but Wonder had big issues with being caught. So sometimes when I would catch him before I even bought him, I like had this like free lease situation for a couple weeks, but I would get him and then just bring him into the arena. We wouldn't do anything. Or I would get him and we would just hand graze. And you can do that same thing with tacking up a horse. I mean, you don't maybe want them to roll, but you can have them hand graze or just go in the arena and do some really easy tricks that you might want to teach your horse, like smiling or pawing on cue. So you can do things to make it fun so that it doesn't always mean they're going to be working hard. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I've heard people be worried about them eating with the bit in. I've never had any issues with that. I mean, I haven't used a bit in a long time, but I have never had any issues with that or seen anybody have issues with that, like when horses are eating on a trail ride and have the bit in. So I personally wouldn't worry too much about that. But if your horse is known to like choke or have problems like that, then maybe that's something to think about. But I wouldn't expect to have any problems from that. And then another thing I would say is When you are going through and teaching them about the bridle in general, make sure that you are putting it on in the best, like most comfortable way that you can. Like I know sometimes, especially with like really tall horses, whenever I'm putting on like the halter or bridle, it's kind of hard for me to put it on in a way that's comfortable for them, especially if they're trying to lift their head up and, you know, like sort of from a more traditional viewpoint if they're like you know they they're like doing sort of a giraffe thing with their head and you're trying to get it on I mean with with this process we don't even want to be doing that and forcing it on but just in general when you are putting it on you want to make sure that you can do it in the most comfortable way possible like you know not folding the ears over too badly or you know banging their teeth with the bit things like that just making sure that you can get them to a point where you guys can both work together to get it on in the most comfortable way possible. Yeah, that's so true. Especially with the bit on the teeth, that does not sound comfortable to me. And also to make sure that the bridle fits and so does the bit, because if it's uncomfortable on, they're not going to want it on no matter what you're doing. Yeah, that's so true. And bridle fit is such an overlooked thing. Like now saddle fit is becoming a bigger concern for people, which is really great. But bridle fit is also a really big deal. And bit fit, I mean, we've mentioned this before, I think, but just making sure that you have zero to one wrinkles with how the bit is fitting in their mouth. And then there's also studies out there about lesions from the bit that have shown that sort of a more medium sized bit, like lengthwise and everything 
tends to be the least likely to cause lesions or other types of issues with the bit. I'd have to pull up that study to get more specific information, but they did look at, you know, what types of bits and what styles of bits cause the most lesions, which is kind of interesting to be aware of and make sure you're choosing a bit that is going to be comfortable for your horse. And I mean, in general, in my opinion, if you're going to use a bit, I think that you should be using a pretty soft snaffle or be something that's close to that, especially if you're just now teaching the horse to take the bit. You want to be starting with something really soft and gentle and not something that's going to be particularly painful. I mean, I don't think that bits are particularly comfortable in any, you know, style, but getting one that's the the least uncomfortable possible, I think will help as well. Yeah, definitely. I agree with all of that. And I mean, I think we've made it obvious before that we're not big fans of bits, so you can try bitless options. It doesn't sound like it's realistic for this person, but you can teach the same cues and the same behaviors with a bitless option as well. Yeah, that's really true. And the side pull is always a great one, just making sure that the nose band isn't too tight and remember that it's not going to be really too much more humane if you're just pulling the crap out of their head. So if you, you know, get a side pull, it's not meant to be like using extreme amounts of force pulling their head. Otherwise that can cause issues with their nose. But yeah, definitely a bitless bridle can be a sometimes better option. But yeah, for this person, they want the horse to be able to take the bit, which is also understandable. Again, like I said too before, this isn't this person's reasoning, but um sometimes you know if you don't know what's like where your horse is gonna be like you know if something happened to you or something like that having them even if you're not using it regularly just be able to be okay having a bit in their mouth can be a positive thing just in case sort of and it shouldn't be you know too aversive to them if you're doing it with positive reinforcement and allowing them to say no and to not take the bit if they don't want to so I think that that's yeah that's definitely something to think about of whether you really need to use a bit or want to use a bit right now, or whether that's maybe something to just not worry about or to worry about later. And for now, use a bitless bridle. I mean, I personally, if I had a horse, I don't think it would be my top priority to teach them to take a bit because there's so many other behaviors that are really important or necessary to learn. And a bitless bridle is like becoming a lot more of the norm, I think, but I can definitely see like why that would be important for some people to try to set their horse up for success in future situations. Yeah, it's still really popular to use bitted bridles and for some sports it's necessary. It's required. It's a rule. So I can understand why people would want to, but also I feel like horses who are trained mostly with positive reinforcement are just a little bit more confident in general with new things, including equipment. So a horse that has already been trained and is pretty clicker savvy might not really mind a bit being put in anyways, even without a lot of prior training. Yeah, that's very true. And it just goes back to how positive reinforcement can help a horse kind of see stuff in the environment as something positive that they can get reinforcement from or that they can explore and probably good things will happen from it and not anything scary or bad so yeah I agree a lot of positive reinforcement horses may take the bit a lot more easily but it also for a horse that has a again a past history with it they may still not um or if they have never done any type of similar behavior where they have to open their mouth it can be tough to you know get them to 
do that, especially if they've never seen a bit and they don't know that it's supposed to go in their mouth. But I think in that case, putting the applesauce or other substances on there can help them kind of get the idea of like, oh, this is, you know, something that's going to go in or near the mouth. Or you could, if you wanted to, you could teach like a mouth open cue, like put that on cue and maybe try that. But you definitely don't want to teach a mouth open cue and then just like shove the bridle in their mouth. Like you still need to go slowly with it and make sure that it's, yeah, that it's comfortable for them. And you can even practice other behaviors where they have to open their mouth too, like teaching them to fetch or maybe doing some cooperative care with like dental work type stuff. There's things that you can do to kind of prepare them for that sensation without actually having to use the bridle too, if they do find it aversive. Yeah, that is a really good point. Um, I feel like honestly, that's most of what I would have to say about this. I would just say starting really slow with just being comfortable in the presence of the bit, targeting the bit, and then eventually working up to being able to put the bit in their mouth, probably along the way using stuff like the applesauce on the bit. And sometimes, you know, once they can have the bit in doing stuff like you said, that's more fun for them, not just, you know, always putting the bit on and then doing work that the horse doesn't enjoy as much. So I think that's kind of like the basics of what advice I would give. Do you have anything else that you want to add or you think we kind of covered it? I think we covered it for the most part besides like going into a super detailed training plan, which I don't yeah. want. <laughs> so yeah. I think we gave a lot of good tips and covered, I mean, really a lot more than what the question was asking. So I think we're good on that. Yeah. Okay. I agree. Do you want to go into the second part of the question or do you want to save that for another time? We can go into it if you want. Okay. Sounds good. So the second part of this question was tips on training how to steer while not in the saddle. So I think this is something that's really interesting because this is something that I've recently been working on in lessons. And I know this is something that you've been working on with your horses a little bit too. So I think this will be something interesting to talk about. Yeah, I'm doing it with a neck rope. So it's a little bit different, but really the cues end up being pretty much the same because you're still using tactile cues. You're still giving verbal cues if you want. And I would still teach it relatively the same way. The only thing I've had issues with is the coordination part of it <laughs> because I'm still using a target to get my horses to turn while I'm trying to apply some pressure on the neck rope to teach the tactile cues. So it's a lot of trying to figure out how to use my hands properly. <laughs> which sounds silly but no I mean that's it's a lot when you have to be carrying a lot of stuff and then if you're using a physical clicker you have to be able to hold the clicker and all yeah. those things it's just a lot so I also get that <laughs> um I think for what I have learned I feel like it can depend a little bit on whether the horse has already a history with I guess like rain pressure and that being possibly an aversive stimulus like in general rain pressure is used as negative reinforcement to you know get the horse to turn so if the horse does have that history I would be a lot more careful with really teaching a turning behavior with positive reinforcement no tactile cues yet at all and and putting that on a voice cue even you can put it on like a left and right voice cue my trainer Rachel does it by using two cones on like the far left and far right sides and then a mat in the middle. So you can ask them to touch the cone on the left and touch the cone on the right. And then 
you know, in between doing that, they go back to the mat. And so like, you could start by doing that before you even introduce any type of pressure whatsoever. You may, if they can, if they can have the bridle on, you may have the bridle on just, you know, for just them getting used to it and having it on, but maybe not using any reins yet. And then once you have that solidly on cue with a voice cue, then sort of transferring that voice cue over to a like a tactile cue if that's the goal just because if they do already have that history with you know reins being used as negative reinforcement and you want this to be a positive reinforcement behavior you're going to have to sort of redo it otherwise if you keep it how it is then it's just going to continue to be a negative reinforcement top behavior which may be fine but if you want to it to be positive reinforcement then you'd have to reteach it so I think that's kind of, I mean, I didn't give a lot of detail about how you would like teach it, I guess. It's kind of hard to do without having a video or something because it's just so like, you know, you you just basically get them to touch the cone on the right and you can pair that with a cue of turning to the right. And then, you know, eventually once they're doing that really consistently, you can start to fade out the cones a little bit too. Just make sure it's solidly on a voice cue and then just transfer the cue using, you know, like first you give the new cue, then you give the old cue. And then eventually the new cue starts to predict the old cue, which predicts the them being cued for the behavior. So then that just becomes the new cue. I don't know. I like, there's just so much that you could get into or explain about this. But again, it's kind of hard to explain like the exact process that I'm talking about without having a video or something. I like that you brought up the cones because I actually saw someone do that on Instagram and I can't remember if it was Rachel or someone else, but I don't know. It's just amazing to me that there's so many different ways you can do the same behavior and it's just like you can be so creative with it. I haven't tried the cone thing because I already started the way I was doing, so I don't want to confuse my horses, but I really wanted to try it after I saw that. Yeah, that makes sense. It honestly might have been me because I posted a video of me doing that with <laughs> Rachel's horses when I was at a lesson with her. So it might have been, <laughs> might have been me or it might have been someone else. But um, yeah, it's yeah, it's really it's kind of cool to be able to use the cones to do that. And it's a little bit less like carrying stuff with not having to carry the target. But like you said, you the way that you're doing it also works and you don't want to confuse your horses. So that's probably a good way to stick with for now. But yeah, I think it is cool, like you said, how there's just so many different ways that you can do it. And for a horse that doesn't have the aversive, like, rain history, I'm not saying, like, go super fast and skip all the steps, but you can sort of get to the tactile cue a little bit faster, I think, with those horses, just because they are, there's not already a negative reinforcement top behavior there that you're trying to not, like, use. So you can just kind of add that in a lot sooner but I would just obviously make sure that you're still going slow and still making it comfortable for the horse like in that case I might start with the tactile cue while I still have the cones and I'm you know at sort of near nearer to the beginning of the process and just going ahead and maybe using that as the first cue rather than putting it on voice cue first but yeah I think I mean you can't go wrong putting it on voice cue first but it's just not as necessary if there's not an aversive history with with the reins or with, you know, touch and tugging on their face and things like that. And like you said, you're doing it with a neck rope. So that's also a good way of doing it because it's a little bit of a, I mean, some horses do know how to, you know, neck rein or to 
be ridden with a neck rope with negative reinforcement. So like it's possible that the horse would have a history with that, but it's a lot less likely. And so it's sort of a, a newer type of behavior that you can work with rather than the normal reins steering being, you know, the more traditional way that the horse has probably been worked with with negative reinforcement. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of horses probably do have that negative reinforcement history. So unfortunately, you might have to go through a lengthier process. And that was my experience with Wonder because he does have a side pull and I have used it in riding, but I always feel like he's responding to the pressure rather than because he's going to get rewarded. So that's why I took it way back. And now we're teaching the same cues, but with a neck rope, because as far as I know, he's had no history with neck rating. So it feels like a pretty safe area. And then Pharaoh came to me only halter trained, so he doesn't have really any riding training history. So I could do whatever with him, but he just hates his bridles. So <laughs> we're stuck with the neck rope and that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. And that makes sense. And yeah, it's good that you kind of been listening to them and like seeing what they need and what their preferences are. And like that just goes to show too, even a horse that doesn't have negative history with the bridle and the reins and everything may still just not like it. It's kind of weird to have something on your face and have something pulling on you. And that's something that, you know, a lot of horses may just not enjoy just for what it is so really taking it slow and finding a way of teaching it that is comfortable for them I think is really important I don't think I have much else unless I wanted to go into a deep training plan (laughs) but the one thing I will say is that I think with transferring it to riding that can be a little complicated for some horses and I think having someone just be on the horse as a passenger not doing anything and then having you give those cues and still clicking and treating might be a good place to start. I don't have someone that likes to be a passenger. So for me, I just add weight on the saddle. So I have sandbags that I'll clip onto the saddle and then there's some extra weight there. So they're practicing those same cues with a new stimulus of the weight on the saddle. And it can be tricky to get up to riding, but it's possible. A lot of people do positive reinforcement and still ride. Yeah, that's so true. I'll come be your passenger. (laughs) (laughs) Um... (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And I agree. I think having somebody ride or just putting weight up there while you're doing it is a good way of getting them used to it and really slowly building up to weight too can just help them physically because I mean, it can be a lot to just go from nothing on your back to suddenly like a hundred plus pound person on your back. It's I mean, that can be a big change physically and mentally. So making sure to work up to that in general is really good in getting them used to the idea of like, here's some weight on your back, maybe like an intermediate amount of weight between what the weight of a rider would be and what just the weight of like the saddle or bareback pad or whatever you're using would be. And then I also think that patterns can be really useful here if, you know, because there's sort of two, if you're going to get on and ride, there's sort of, well, there's a lot more than two things that need to be done, but you need to theoretically have the the steering and the rain cues I mean you don't have to you can just sit on them but like if you want to steer you theoretically have to have those cues and then you also the horse has to be comfortable with having a person on their back too and so the first time that you get on a horse's back if they're not used to having a person on their back you're most likely not going to want to be like steering and doing all sorts of crazy things up there so I think like a lot of it too is going to be like making sure that you keep in mind that riding involves a lot of different things and a lot of different new 
stimuli that the horse may or may not be comfortable with and you don't want to be like basically flooding the horse and just adding way too many things at once and them just being uncomfortable with it. I think patterns can be really helpful for the horse to be confident with something that they've done a lot before. So like a pattern of touching cones or even a pattern of just going to feed pans and getting food from the feed pans can be really helpful for them to be like, oh, you know, I have a person on me, but I'm still just continuing to do these same patterns that I've done them before, rather than just getting into an open field or something and getting on and being like, okay, now I'm going to give them the left cue or whatever. And like, it's just, yeah. So I think just going really slow and using patterns can be really helpful. Yeah, I agree. Being predictable is never a bad thing and it'll help our horses feel safe and confident in whatever they're doing. And I've also seen people with adding weight or trying to add a person. I've seen people do like just a pair of pants and they'll sew the feet and then fill them with sand and then sew the waistline to kind of give an impression of a person. Like they can, I think they can kind of see where your legs and feet are to an extent. So then they can have that, that view and then also the pressure of kind of how someone's legs would be on them and that's a good way to practice having a rider without putting a rider on the horse if you don't have access or if the horse just isn't prepared yet it breaks it down a little bit farther than just throwing someone up there and hoping for the best that makes sense and that sounds really cool I'm trying to think of what else I would have to add I guess in general I will just say if you just continue doing the the old things that you were doing with negative reinforcement or that the horse knew with negative reinforcement and you just click and treat after that is just going to be negative reinforcement with the cherry on top it's not going to be positive reinforcement even if you're using very light pressure and then treating for it whether a behavior is positive or negative reinforcement is largely dependent on how that behavior was trained and also how it's maintained but a behavior that was originally taught with negative reinforcement is going to take a lot of I guess work to bring it back to being positive reinforcement if you wanted to so in general if you just kind of do negative reinforcement and click and treat even if you're not escalating that's still going to be a negative reinforcement behavior and so that's okay but I do see a lot of people who seem to be using negative reinforcement with the cherry on top and I just think that that is just a different thing than positive reinforcement and it may still be pretty comfortable for the horse and it may still be you know somebody's choice of training and that's okay it's just a different thing yeah definitely I had something to say about that but I can't remember what it was (laughs) Um, I know (laughs) it's okay With this person, they're working with a trainer, so it might be better in some cases to just stick with the negative reinforcement-based training if the horse is comfortable with it. But it's tricky when you want to do something else that your trainer isn't really excited about, so that's kind of complicated. Oh yeah, this was something we talked about the first time, and I completely forgot about it, but yeah... Because, I mean, we're eventually going to do an episode on some things about mixing and I would like to talk about non-escalating negative reinforcement things like that. But, you know, just not getting into those topics, it can be a little bit stressful if you are teaching your horse on your own time with positive reinforcement, like, oh yeah, you have a choice. You don't have to put your head in in the bridle if you don't want to. You don't have to take the bit if you don't want to. And then if you're working with a trainer and they get you know, to their lesson with the trainer and the trainer does not have that perspective and the trainer is going to be forceful with them 
that can almost be worse in a way for them to be told that they have a choice and then not have that choice respected. And sometimes there are environmental factors that you can use to kind of show the horse that like, this is the situation when we're doing positive reinforcement. And this is the situation when we're doing negative reinforcement. But if you can't do that clearly, it can just be really tough to make that be comfortable for the horse. And they may, you know, even when you're doing positive reinforcement, they may know that there's kind of a fear or a threat there of them actually being forced to do something or having, you know, more and more pressure applied. So just be wary of that. And in some cases, teaching it as kindly as you can with negative reinforcement may actually be preferable if you can't you know, get to a situation where the horse isn't going to be forced or they're not going to be handled more harshly by somebody else. Just that way you're keeping it consistent with what the horse is going to be asked to do by other people. But then I will also say, especially when the horse is your horse, you own this horse, you have a choice in what professionals you ask to work with your horse. And so obviously there aren't, unfortunately, enough positive reinforcement horse trainers out there for everybody to have access to a positive reinforcement horse trainer that they want. But there are trainers out there who are at least open to it or wanting to learn more about it or willing to work with you in the way that you're saying is comfortable for your horse and you. So I will also say like you're paying a professional for them to do a service for you. There's no need to work with a professional that isn't comfortable for you and your horse or isn't doing what you and your horse want. So just keep that in mind that there's so many different horse professionals out there that you can also, you know, learn from and, you know, no need to work with a professional that doesn't align with your values. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click, Treat, Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click, Treat, Repeat pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training.